2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter that I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your prophets. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, this is what he was pointing out again, coming from the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace and spotless and blameless." And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So then today we will again consider this end of the days of this earth that it's being warned about that is soon coming. I said to you on other occasions that from those earliest days of my belief in Christ, eschatology... Eschatology, the study about the end times, has been a big part of my Christian experience. And so that you and I are on the same page, may I read for you a definition of what my Bible dictionary says about eschatology. We're told there that eschatology is the study of the teachings in the Bible concerning the end times. That period of time when Christ returns And then the events that will follow his return. And the teachings of eschatology include the resurrection, the rapture, tribulation, the millennium, the binding of Satan, the final judgment, Armageddon, and the new heavens and the new earth. There's probably other parts of it, but these are the main topics that are studied. And the teachings of eschatology, as we mentioned a moment ago in the reading of the Scriptures, the teachings come from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
From the Old Testament, you can see so much of it in the book of Daniel, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Joel, in Zechariah. In the New Testament, you can read about it in Matthew, and we'll read some of that today. Mark and Luke in 2 Thessalonians, as we mentioned earlier. Second uh, Peter that we're studying in now, and especially in the book of Revelation. Now, if you find that you have an intense interest in these things, these end days, the soon coming of the Lord Jesus, I do encourage you to search through those books and, and other books of the Bible to see for yourself the reality of the coming return of Christ that's spoken about here in this text. Now, my story is that when I was a new Christian, right from the beginning, I was on fire for the Lord. And I studied the Bible, and I read lots of books about God. And it was during those earliest days as a Christian that a Christian friend of mine gave me a copy of the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. And I've spoken about that on other occasions, and perhaps you've read it. If you haven't, it's by Hal Lindsey. It was put out in the 70s, 1970s as I recall, perhaps in the late 60s. And I confess to you that I chewed on that book long and hard. I chewed on Hal Lindsey's version of how these end times will play out in our human history. And it really did seem logical to me at the time. And it still does in the majority. There are some things that time has shown not to work out in the way that he was predicting it. But I I did agree with a lot of what I read there. Now, in that book and in other books like it, I read over and over again about what these authors thought would take place during the tribulation. And you have two forms, two parts of the tribulation. You have the tribulation, and then you have the great tribulation, which seems to be slightly different. Tribulation starting before the great tribulation starts. And I do believe that we are in the beginnings of the tribulation even today. As they begin to intensify and unfold on this earth, and I read books about the rapture, of how when it took place, then this devastating wrath of God that is to be poured out upon the earth and upon the remaining people that are on the earth. Now, may I remind us that there are several versions of what the eschatologists tell us will actually take place during those days. Now, these, these writers, by and large, are very earnest believers And they all really want to be accurate. But it's obvious that as you read these different books that there are differences in their concepts. And so it is that their imaginations are probably getting more involved in their predictions than perhaps they should be. And because of that, you and I are going to have varied stories about how those end days will take place. And right at the top of the list, one of the favorite is the Left Behind series by Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. Very interesting, but probably not as accurate as some of the others. So the warning would be, 
as you read these different accounts of what these eschatologists believe will take place, remember and be careful that the only place that you put your real trust is in these scriptures. If it's not in these scriptures, then take what those other writers say as like the footnotes in your Bible. These footnotes in your Bible are not the Bible. These are an author's idea. So take these other books in the same vein. Now with all that being said, as I have read the accounts of all those authors that I've read about those coming days, most often I do find that their line of reasoning is fairly close. They really do incorporate Scripture. And so I'm comfortable with a lot of it, not necessarily that I, I trust and believe all of it, but it, it's close to what Scripture would call for. Now, some of the biggest variations in their accounts that they present is in the timeline. The timeline of when each of these big events of Scripture and the events of Scripture that they're talking about are here in the Scripture, so they yes, they will take place. But the timeline in which they will take place, that'll vary, especially as with the more catastrophic events. And I want to say something, I'll say this over and over again. If you begin to study the book of Revelation, and we might study some of that in the, in the coming weeks, I don't know where the Lord is leading me on that yet, but if you study the book of Revelation, you'll find out in a hurry that it is not chronological. It goes back and forth in a timeline. And so the timeline is what gets a lot of these writers confused. And so as I give my understanding of what will take place during those end days, I want to ask you to consider that God has not yet really given me a firm understanding of those things and those events. So you need to be able to understand that as you listen to me. I will do my best to only give mostly everything will be from these scriptures. So it should be trustworthy for you. So as I understand the timing of the Lord's return then, and the way the Scripture puts it, is that for those of us who have the Holy Spirit within our hearts and within our minds, we're going to begin to do what Scripture calls discern the times. We'll be able to discern the signs of the soon coming Lord. That's scriptural. And those signs are clearly given. And I read those to us last week. This is in several places within Scripture, but let me just read for us again what Matthew 24 tells us. And if you'd like to follow along from Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to beginning in verse 4. And the Lord answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing, and listen, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now these are signs. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now remember, birth pains are right at the end when the child is going to be born. So it is near the end, very, very near the end. But they are still only the birth pangs. Verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. 
and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So as we begin to see then these signs that are mentioned here that are taking place, and they are already beginning to take place even today. And as the intensity mounts in the mistreatment of Christian believers, that's what he's talking about here, and you see that taking place in the Mideast right now, then it is then that in this very special timing of God's plan, there will be a sudden event take place that will devastate this entire world. In just a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, all of the believers on the earth, both those who are alive at that moment and all those who have before that moment died, they will suddenly be caught up, raptured away into the clouds to be with Christ. May I read that again for us? I read it for us last week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, a question. Why does God rapture us believers away from the earth? We talked about this last week, but I want it to be in your heart and mind. Why does He rapture the believers off of the earth? It's because He is getting prepared to pour out His violent wrath upon the earth and upon all of the people that remain on the earth. And His wrath, listen, His wrath is not intended for us believers. His wrath is not intended for us believers, but only for unbelievers, those who have time and time again rejected His provision of salvation. And he tells us that in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, We might live with Him. Now once we believers are taken off the earth and only the unbelievers are left to remain upon it, that's when the great tribulation seems to begin to unfold in earnest. All of the miseries that we just read about here in Matthew chapter 24 will intensify to just a most awful of degrees. Satan will apparently be unleashed to begin to inflict with great intensity suffering like mankind has never known before. And it's then that the fiction and the non-fiction writers of our day have worked some of their best and some of their worst imaginary scenarios of misery. And it's important for us to keep in mind that once the Christians are raptured off of the earth, there will be no one left No one left on the earth who has the goodness of the Holy Spirit in them. 
There'll be no one left who has any form of real love in them. No compassion, no caring of any kind remaining within them and on this earth. Only the self-centeredness of unbelief. And that's going to manifest itself in their behaviors. And that's when those things that are spoken about here in Matthew 24 will really get awful. Friend against friend. Family member against family member. In those days, mankind will truly begin to experience lawless days, he speaks of here. Lawless days. The survival of the fittest and the weak will surely be devoured by the strong. In those days, Satan will begin to demand that all of the people on the earth yield their allegiance to him and to actually begin to worship him as God. And he'll institute an economic system without money that will involve a number being printed upon people's foreheads and upon their hands. And without that number, they'll not be able to buy or sell or receive the necessities of life. Let me read that. Revelation 13. Now this is the Word of God. This is not some fiction writer. Revelation 13. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell on it, listen, to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because the signs which were given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many to do as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Anyone who wouldn't worship the image of the beast would be killed. And listen, and he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free and the slave, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of man. And his number is 666. Folks, this is not fiction. This is not something that a human writer has conjured up. This is the unchangeable, inerrant, infallible truth of God. And He's warning us that there surely will come a day of distress, just like this, a distress that we've never known before, never will again. This is real. And you and I had better deal with it now, today. If you and I don't have Christ as our Savior right at this moment, then we're standing on the shakiest of ground that we could ever imagine. If we do not have Christ as our Savior and the rapture were to take place in the next moment, we would be truly left behind. And if we are left behind, we absolutely will suffer those sufferings that are spoken about here. We absolutely will. That's the Word of God. Now, question. Why does God insert this awful time of tribulation into His plan for mankind? 
Why didn't He just rapture everybody off the earth and then just destroy the remaining people that are left on the earth with all that fire and brimstone that will come down? He says, why? Answers that question in verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Listen, God is a gracious God of second chances. Of second chances. Right up until the very end. And He has opened the door now, during these days, very wide. And He invites us to come in. And not only that, He doesn't just invite us to come in. He actually pursues after us and He draws us to Him. No one comes to me except my Father draw them. The Father is drawing people to Christ, knocking on the doors of their hearts, pleading with people to come in. And if we do that, if we do that during these days, then we will joyfully be with Him as we are raptured out. But if we refuse to receive Him as our Savior and Lord, and if we are still alive when the rapture takes place and we are then left behind, then He will actually provide one last chance. That's one of the reasons for the tribulation. During those days, many who have before rejected Him will realize their utter foolishness and will turn their hearts to Him and be saved. Oh, but please understand this. Please understand this. The price that they will have to pay for that second chance will be suffering beyond anything they can imagine, beyond all comprehension. Those who then are saved, they'll begin to see and know the difference. But unfortunately, they'll not just be raptured off like the other ones were. They have to stay during the tribulation and suffer through all of those things that the tribulation offers. And let me say to you, those ones that are left behind, please understand this, those that are left behind are not just all the bad guys. Those thugs and drug dealers and murderers and rapists and pedophiles. Yes, it'll be them, but let me say to you, many of those who are left behind are going to be our dearest loved ones. Our children, our grandchildren, our most beloved family members and friends. They may not be so really bad, but if they have not during this lifetime received Christ, if they have rejected Him, then they will surely pay the worst price imaginable. Now I'll need to close. We'll finish with more of this next week. Billy Graham gives this verse at a lot of his altar calls throughout his years of crusades, and I want to go ahead and read it for us. This is from 2 Corinthians 6. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. And listen, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today. Let's pray.